thought, what if this isn't true? What if this isn't true and I've given my entire life to this? My job literally centers around this belief system of Christianity. It centers itself around the the person and the work of Jesus. But what if I'm wrong? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. And then usually the emotion that immediately follows that is fear. And, and like, oh my gosh, am, am I like a sham? And like, am I even a true Christian? Um, I don't know what you maybe feel or if you've ever asked this question before, but I want you to know that you are not alone in asking this question, nor is God offended by this question. God is bigger than our questions, and he desires us to love him because of the realization that he loved us first. So, how do you know Christianity is true? There there are typically three categories or perspectives in which the existence of God is broken down into. So these three categories are cosmological, teleological, and moral. So these are kind of the three um, categories. They, They have the word argument on here. That's typically how they're phrased. I don't really like the word argument because it sounds like you're just yelling at someone like, ah, this is the teleological argument of why you're wrong. Like, It just doesn't really sound that graceful and cool, but for the sake of uh, today's sermon and what it's at, what they call it, um, that's what it's called. So before we break down these three categories, we we have to ask a more broad and general question. And this question is this, is the God of the Bible the one true God who created all things and put all things into existence? So the God that we read about in the scriptures, in the Bible, is that the one true God? Is he the one who created all things and put all things into existence? This question can be um, a bit of a trip up. It can be a stumbling block for people because it assumes a few things. It assumes that God was not created and he was before creation. It assumes that God is creator and it assumes that the Bible is true. So if you come at this question from the perspective of the Bible, it has, it has the potential to be discounted by some people. If your worldview denies scripture as truth, then all responses derived from scripture are taken as false arguments. Now, we are a church that believes that the Bible is the word of God, um, that, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, and it's inspired by God. And is, as 2 Timothy 3 says, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And a question, that, a question to ask if you're coming at this question from the Bible could be this. What does the Bible say? about the existence of God and where he came from. Let's look at the book of Isaiah. If you're following along in the YouVersion Bible app, it's right there. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. It says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding Okay, thank you. I kicked my water bottle over and I was moving it and I lost my spot. Um, He will not grow tired or weary, sorry. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even you guys, no amount of bangs can keep you up all the time. (laughs) 
Dude, you still sleep, though. Um, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Verse 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So this was the prophet Isaiah bringing words of comfort and strength to the people of Israel. And this can be an encouragement for us as well. Because the Lord is everlasting, the creator of all things, he will never grow weary and he will be present with the weary. And we can have confidence in him because of this. Now, that's if we were to approach does God exist from scripture. So let's ask this question not approaching from scripture. So if we approach this question from the foundation of logic and reason, we may be able to approach this topic on even ground, no matter if you believe the Bible to be true or not. So like I said a few moments ago, the three common categories that we can approach the existence of God are, again, the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, and the moral argument. So uh, I'll say this before we briefly um, dissect these three categories. From my limited, and can I express limited, understanding and knowledge of, of world religions, it seems as if Christianity makes the most sense of the world that we live in. It gives an explanation as to why things are the way that they are. And so there, these, these three essential categories, um, there's another three categories. Why is everything in the groups of three? I don't know. But there are three categories that religions are put into because of how um, they view the world and how they view the world is ran and how it came to be. So there's theism. So if, if, a, if a religion is theistic, it means that there is a personal God who created the universe. Um, there's naturalism. There's no divine being, and natural laws are the only rules that govern the structure and behavior of the natural world. And then lastly, this category is pantheism. So they believe that the universe is eternal, and the divine is made up of all things and many gods. So let's look at the cosmological the teleological and moral perspectives through the sense and through the lens of theism, naturalism, and pantheism. So let's look at the cosmological. What, what does that mean? And it says this, if something exists, it must have either come from something else, come from nothing, or have always existed. And the vast majority of scientists agree that the universe came from somewhere. What is highly debated, though, is who, where, or what did the universe come from? Was it a Big Bang, or was it created? To say that the world came from nothing seems to deny the way that everything in the world operates. So, for, for example, every product we buy, whether you jump on Amazon later tonight when you get home, maybe you're perusing some new um, RGB lights for your gaming PC, or maybe you are browsing Amazon for a new pair of pants or a new crop top or whatever you're looking for, um, Amazon wardrobe. But every product we buy, it was invented by a person or a company. We have electricity because of individuals, and it can be argued of who that individual was. We have Amazon largely because of one man. To say the world came from nothing could be argued as an irresponsible way of looking at the way that the world operates. 
So that's kind of the foundation of not looking at Scripture. But if you use the Bible to explain the origin of, the exist, of, of what we experience in the world, we look to a divine being who created everything. And Scripture tells us that that divine being is God. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, the very, very beginning of your Bible, all the way to the left, it lays out how the world began by the personal and powerful word of God everything was put into existence. So the cosmological. So what is the teleological argument that there is, um, there is a God, there is one God that exists? It means this. Proof of design, because of the universe, complexity points to a designer. So if you were to find, here's an example, and you could find a million examples like this if you were to Google the teleological argument for the existence of God. Um, I just picked this one. But if you were to find all of the the pieces and the parts to um, build a computer, so you find all of these different parts, but the catch is you didn't find these parts in the same spot. You didn't find them packaged in a box. You didn't find them packaged with instructions. You found them all over the world. So not just in the United States. Well, you could say you found all of these parts around the United States. Um, There most likely wouldn't be a thought of natural, unguided acts of chance that made these things come into existence, especially if they were packaged in a cardboard box. That would be crazy. (laughs) This reality points to someone who had an idea, and this person brought this idea to life. Would our bodies and minds, which are far more complex, be formed and made by time and chance? Psalms 139, uh, 14 and 15 says, For you created my inmost being. This is referencing God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So scripture tells us we are known and designed by God. And please let me clarify. I I did this a few moments ago, but I feel like I need to do it again. Um, I'm not an expert, nor will I ever claim to be. I also want uh, to make it clear that I never want to create this straw man out of the worldview that I don't necessarily resonate with. I do realize that a lot of examples that are being made in this sermon are generalizations and um, they're not extremely um, nuanced. And I do realize that this can be different um, for a lot of different people. These worldviews I do not agree with are backed by human beings who were created and they matter to God. And since they are created by him and his image, My love for them is demanded because they are human beings. And I think something that is so easy for us in culture is to look at a person who doesn't agree with us and forget that they're a human being. And we can point to so many different issues. You know the issues. I don't need to say them. But we can look at at people on the opposite side of what we believe, and we can forget that they were created in the image of God. And because they're created in the image of God, they demand our love as a human being. And so I want us to realize when, we, when, we, when you approach questions like this, and really approach any question, we have to remember that the person that has the opposing view of you is also a human being. And they don't need to be disrespected, and they demand your respect. Okay, so the teleological argument. Let's move on to the moral argument. And it's this. In every culture, there's a natural and general sense of right and wrong. 
This natural sense of right and wrong is developed over time as you are immersed in culture and um, as you are immersed with the people that you are surrounded with on a daily basis. So generally, no matter, there's, there's a few things, as, as no matter where you travel in the world, there's a few things that are viewed as wrong no matter where you are. Typically, adultery, murder, and theft. These are essentially kind of three things morally that are kind of seem uh, to be wrong in every country no matter where you go. This natural sense of right and wrong is evidence of a moral code that is given to each person. So when we see injustice happening in our world, typically we realize this is unjust in part because of our internal natural sense of right and wrong. It seems as if naturalism would it seems as if naturalism would have difficulty reconciling our sins of right and wrong if we develop naturally with no outside influence. C.S. Lewis said this um, in Mirror Christianity. He said, um, As an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? I think it's something that we just need to process. As we, as we look at injustice in the world, why do I see that or why do I view that as unjust? And why do I see that as needing to be corrected? Could it be that there is an internal sense of, of morality that's been placed in us by God? And these three categories are not meant to prove the, instant, the existence of God and then in turn prove uh, the truth of Christianity. The intent is, is to have you think deeply about what you believe and why you have come to this conclusion. Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Oftentimes we think God is, is far, off, far off from us. Oftentimes we believe that he is disconnected from us, but sometimes we forget this promise that Jesus made. That when a person seeks to find answers, they will find the person of Jesus. When they search for Jesus, they will find him. When they search for comfort and healing, they will find the person and the work of Jesus. And friends, we can rest in knowing that he is there and we can find comfort in knowing that he loves us and he's near to us. He invites us to repent of our sin, which disqualifies us from, from belonging to him. And he gives us his forgiveness. All you have to do is profess that Jesus is Lord. Repent of your sin and put your trust in him. And I want to conclude just by saying this. This is like literally like the paper-thin crust surface of this, this question. And I would highly encourage you, if you have the, the Version Bible app, there are three articles that I linked in there that they, I'm going to be honest with you, they're really long, <laughs> okay? Um, there's a couple apps that, you know, like when you go to an article, it'll tell you how long it'll take you to read it. Have you ever seen that? Where it's like, this is a five-minute read. This is not a five-minute read, okay? Um, 
One of them's probably at least like 10, 15 minutes. And the thing is, though, it's not just like 10 or 15 minutes. It's like probably longer because you're like trying to process what's happening. You know, it's like those really deep thought provoking books that are like, ah, oh, it's 200 pages, but it takes you like five years to read it because you're just like, I don't know what's going on. But I would encourage, the reason I said all of those things is I think sometimes we have a tendency in our culture because we love everything so quick. We love instant gratification. Sometimes we won't take a step or, or we won't stop and, um, and take the time to read something in depth. And I would encourage you, whether you're, you know, really struggling with this question or not, I would encourage you to read these articles, but I think, because I think it's important for us to know why we believe that God is the one true God. And not just simply because the Bible says, which I will say, yes, because the Bible says, I believe that that's true. But sometimes we need more than that. Sometimes we need to look at just the evidence around us and say, okay, like the world points to a creator. The world points to something more than just it came into existence. And sometimes it can bolster our faith that's rooted in scripture. As we look at these different um, perspectives of how the world came to be in the existence of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to take about the next, what time is it? We're going to take the next ish amount of time, 20-ish minutes. Um, We have about four questions in our small groups, and we are going to further process this question of how do we know that Christianity is true? And so um, we're going to jump into our, our small groups.